Uh, welcome to the Winning Edge Investments uh, Spring Racing Carnival uh, podcast for 2019. Um, I'm Stephen, the uh, Member Success Manager at uh, Winning Edge Investments, and I have been involved in the wagering industry for over 10 years and going to the races for many more years uh, before that and I will not care to remember. And um, I'm talking to Dean Evans today about uh, Spring Racing Carnival. Yeah, um, g'day Stephen, how are you going? I'm going very well. Um, now, you've uh, for, for now over seven years you've been running uh, two of the most profitable horse racing tipping services and uh, you and on that basis uh, you're a form analyst that uh, has the has the runs on the board so to speak and have, have constantly delivered a quality and profitable service um, now when when uh, when our members join they get a members information pack that's got over 120 pages of information to make you uh, a better punter and Dean runs two services um, one's called trial spy which started back or, and Dean Sips both started back in 2013 trial spies generated over 730 units of profit a 10% profit on turnover over that period of time as included big price winners such as cloud cover at 100 100 to 1 heroes quest also at 100 to 1 Martha Mary at 60 to 1 Georgie's Loose at 50 to 1, Eclair Choice 50 to 1, Gold Sun 47, Public Spirit at 45, Zutano 41, Rock the House at 40 to 1, and there's plenty more. And Dean's tips has generated, since he started, over 680 units of profit on 8% profit on turnover over that period of time. And what that means is if you started off with a $10,000 betting bank at $100 per unit, you would now have a $68,000 betting bank. And now here's a, here's a list of some big price winners. Um, this, will, this will take a little while, so bear with me. Um, Khan at 149, Stage Girl at 126, MD at 100 to 1. And if you had have got on that one during the last five, 10 minutes on bet you could have got as much as 560 to 1. Mighty Boss at 100 to 1, Kaiser Frank at 70 to 1, Calvo at 57, Elithrus at 57, Shazzy Lee at 57, Harlem at 53, Sacred Falls at 50 to 1, and Sea Lord at 50 to 1 as well. Mourinho at 43, Centre Divider and Tully Ho both at 42, and Cam a whole lot of others. <laughs> a whole probably, lot of others, yeah. That's it's, probably uh, enough. Plenty of 40 to 1s and 30 to 1s and all sorts of things uh, yeah. over the journey. And, you know, if you, if you think about it, you think about it, most people in any one year would be happy to have a, have a, you know, a winner of, you know, 20 to 1 or more. There's consistently horses in the 40s, 50s, 100s over, over the year. And while we're not going to say we get them every week, they happen often enough to say that they happen... Um, with with frequent regularity. So, but that's that's it. So, Dean, um, now you at the moment, how did you first get into racing? Um, my father bred bred a few handy racehorses. Um, we had a mare won you know eleven races. She won on all four Sydney Metro tracks, so she was good fun to to follow around and 
won was a decent stayer, won some black type races, nearly qualified for the Melbourne Cup. So, you know, I, I caught the racing bug from following those horses. Um, and uh, and you know, my father also worked for a few bookmakers, so he was sort of mathematically inclined and I was the same. And so, you know, I caught the racing bug and then but then naturally was very interested in the wagering side of things. And, and I remember being uh, about 12 years old and using my dad's TAB phone account and, you know, pretending to speak in a deep voice and pretending to be him and, and, and placing bets even at that age. Um, I remember I was about 16 and, you know, there was one of those bog heavy tracks in New Zealand and I worked through the form and thought there were only three horses that can actually handle the wet. Most of them are dry trackers um, because some of them have poor form, you know, as they've been racing on dry tracks um, uh, that, you know, a box three horses on a trifecta didn't cost me much, you know, as a, 16 year old six bucks or other one eight grand which was a good little collect for a, uh, a young kid and you know i got my first car out of that and but it gave me the confidence no you can beat the market and you can beat the betting game if you do the research and, and you back yourself and um and that sort of really started my journey on um you know identifying uh quality opportunities and, and isolating the factors that i think are important in a, in a given situation in a race and then trying to make money from it Indeed, I I, uh, I remember getting getting my first car from uh, pro proceeds from a bet too. So outstanding. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I uh, went to university in Caulfield, and there's a racetrack across the road from university. So spent a bit of time there. Certainly gets in your in your blood and veins once uh, once you have a big win like that. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, you got away to that you know to a to a flying start there with those winners and um, that has clearly continued. Yeah. I mean, you know, I haven't always been a successful punter. I think those early days, uh, you know, when you're just starting out, you, you, you kind of, uh, you know, learning and, um, you know, I was always good at finding big price winners. I was always good at finding the opportunity where the, the market had missed something. Um, but ultimately you've got to be able to turn that skill or ability into a long-term profitable venture. Um, and and that's really the key, you know. So um, that involved reading a lot of books and information, not just on how to find winners and value, but you know things like money management and staking and bank preservation and risk versus reward, strike rates, POT and ROI percentages, uh, concepts like drawdown and the Kelly criterion, all these concepts. So I think once you study investing in general, um, and then apply that mindset and those principles to punting, you can uh, you can you can make money from from your passion, which is uh, you know, a real win-win. And I, I love the thrill and the mental challenge of all, you know, every every race. Yeah, there's 150, 200 variables in every horse that can be assessed. So it's its own complex puzzle, um, you know, and you do all of this hard work. Uh, and then you get to, you know, either on TV or at the track, watch these, you know, beautiful majestic creatures run around and the gates crash open. And then you're entirely in the lap of the gods and the jockeys, um, you know, but... Uh, you know, it's a, it's a real thrill and, and uh, it's a puzzle that I continue to enjoy trying to play, uh, you know, every day. And so I think um, my mindset was simply, you know, I love racing. I always knew I'd love horse racing. Um, I didn't want to lose money on my passion. Like, as, you know, people have different passions, whether it's cars or boats or, you know, all sorts of things. But um, it's quite nice to have a real passion and still actually be able to make money from it as well. Indeed. Did you give any thought to uh, becoming a bookmaker yourself? Um, it was, it was never really a path that I, um, that I delved into too much. Um, 
I guess, you know, Betfair started to come around. And so that opportunity to actually be a bookmaker in the city of your own office was, um, was, you know, an option. Uh, and I think maybe if it wasn't, then, you know, the bookmaker thing might've been uh, a path I would have considered, but, um, you know, I spent a bit of time learning from some bookmakers and that sort of thing, but, um, you know, it really, it really came down to, uh, I really enjoyed beating the bookmakers and I had that real mindset. Um, and then, you know, I did, uh, you know, spend some time looking at, uh, you know, you had Betfair there, so you can bet and lay. And, and so the bookmaking element does come into it. Um, but I preferred trying to, to beat, uh, beat the bookies and beat the market on my own assessments rather than at the whim of, of other punters. Ah, fair enough then. And your the first service you had is called the Trial Spy, and you you're known as the Trial Spy yourself. And you've done that for for uh, a large number of years. Um, and you was looking in trials before anyone else was really looking at them. So much so that they're now on television quite a bit. Um, how have you been able to maintain that success now that uh, it's more widely watched? Yeah, well, I started in 2011, and back then, really, no one was looking at them, and they, they weren't widely televised. Um, if they were, they were often, you know, played at 2 a.m. on, on Sky, all that sort of thing, uh, you know, and, and just played once. There was there was a lot less social media and that sort of thing then, so there was very few eyes on it. Um, and I started putting, putting each horse into a black book, had a spreadsheet where I keep track of all the results, you know, used a rolling bank, where I was starting with a 10k betting bank betting one percent of the bank on this on the spreadsheet and, and you know putting a hundred dollars per horse and then just increasing the bets as the bank increased and that spreadsheet went from a ten thousand dollar bank to up over a million dollars so i sort of knew i had something i, I knew what i identified a big edge um i got talking with a couple of people started offering the, the selections to to a, a membership group um and it just proved to be incredibly popular and, and you know on the back of the success um and you know we were just taking an intake members once a year and you know sort of seven years on we've, we've made 700 units profit and, uh you know doubling doubling people's betting banks each year uh you know 100 percent roi each year so um it's just uh you know it, it's been very successful and i think the, the key is just to review and refine your methodology you know um, I've adjusted for market changes that are related to more people watching trials, but I've, I've found that still most don't really know what to look for or how to identify the value. Uh, and I see it in social media, I see it in the betting markets, people really finding the wrong horses. So over the course of time, I've actually found the markets shifted back to undervaluing the trial form significantly. So it's a, it's a great space to be in at the moment. Indeed. And so what are the, what are the key things you look for when you're, when you're assessing a trial? Well, trials are just a mini race. Um, you know, they're, um, they're not an official race. Not all horses are, are trying, but that also means that, you know, the syndicates and the large database and the betting models struggle to reflect the results of those accurately. Um, and so there's a big edge if you can assess them accurately, uh, as most fail to do so. Um, and so most runners, you know, well, good trialers end up under the odds, uh, or sorry, sorry, over the odds. And then certain star trialers who, big flashing lights that everyone notices are actually over bet. There's actually opportunities to then bet around those as well. Um, but I treat trials the same as a race. You know, I do the form beforehand. I analyze the times, the finishing margins, the class of each horse and how a horse performs compared to the expectations of a horse of its class uh, and then compare that to the race that it starts. And, you know, so um, you're assessing whether a horse is fully ridden out or hard held and, and not touched, you know, heavily restrained. Um 
some trainers have also fully wound up for trials while others, you know, use them for fitness. Uh, and some put heavy jockeys or heavy shoes on to weigh the horses down in trials. So there's, there's all sorts of factors to consider when, when completing the trial puzzle. And then you've got uh, Dean's Tips, which, uh, which, is, which is a separate service. Uh, what's the background and approach with that one? Um, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's shifted over time as, as the markets um, have evolved. Uh, you know, it started being mostly video watching and trip handicapping and the usual form principles, uh, you know, mainly on metros. Then I started becoming very data driven and was focused on um, incorporating speed class ratings and, and country and provincial racing on top of the metros and cities. Um, and yeah, I had a very detailed form database and spent about six months just studying my database and identifying the other key form factors that the market and other punters undervalue significantly and found sort of, you know, three key factors of market certainly undervalued. And then over time, it's been a case of refining the selection methodology as the market's always moving and evolving. So, you know, constantly staying ahead of it. Um, and, and, you know, using other concepts to find big price winners, SP profiling, trainer and jockey changes, track distance going specialists, uh, all around this sort of concept of isolation that I talk about, which is, um, you know, I find a lot of ratings people, they have the same rating methodology regardless of the race, uh, regardless of the track condition, regardless of the, the track uh, regardless of the class of race, they've got the same, you know, weighting of all, you know, whether they assess trainer or jockey or speed or these sorts of things. Whereas, you know, I, I pay a lot of attention to weighing the 150 or 200 variables very much based on the situation and circumstances of the race. Okay. So over time, the, uh, the selection criteria from when you would have first started Dean's tips is would be substantially different by now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's it's certainly evolved. And, and, you know, the early days was very much focused on metro racing. And then, you know, uh, for a couple of years, it was very much focused on the country and provincials and, and betting early. And now as markets have evolved and the focus has changed, it's probably gone back to a mixture of the two uh, and mixing a lot of the form elements. But, um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, a lot of focus again back on the major big races and having a lot of success with, with those. And, and yet you still cover uh, race meetings across the uh, entire country. Um, how do you, how do you manage that? Um, I've developed ways to review all races very quickly and, you know, determine essentially whether the race is a, is a lottery or, or meets the criteria of a race worth reviewing in a lot more detail. So, you know, I've done a amount of, mountain of work in the past, work out which tracks are profitable, what are not. So, uh, so although I bet in all states, I don't bet in all tracks and, you know, maybe we'll cut down my focus to where I know the data and my assessments are most profitable and, and stop spending um, unnecessary time on areas that are, are less profitable. Um, and then having, having access to a lot of data at my fingertips uh, and, you know, I have, a, I have a good memory for anything horse racing related, you know, horses and their quirks and idiosyncrasies and where they're strong and weak and same with trainers and jockeys. So a lot of that comes to me naturally these days. I'm able to work quickly through fields and, and data having done it for so long and then established a clear, reliable process that I know that works and has a big edge long term. And so, you know, focusing on that mixture between the speed and class ratings and trainer jockey stats and the speed map and position and running and um you know then looking at the replays to identify how a race was run or the track bias or or you know a horse's 
getting blocked or are they a future standout performer and you're able to assess all of these things and and, and know the races that you you want to delve into further and and, and assess uh um you know when comparing to the market and the ones that you can leave alone and so while while trial spy is predominantly uh, identifying um horses from trial form and dean's tips is uh, traditional race more more traditional race form analysis do you cross over anything um between the two services um no there's no crossover of selections uh, they're 100 percent separate and, and independent selections using different methodologies um and you know fortunately they both have a big edge on the market but uh you know they're the only the, the, the selections certainly don't cross over but the only crossover is um in that there might be an occasion where there's a race and we and you know trials by might have one bet in the race and dean's tips might have another bet in the same race if each methodology has found a uh you know big value selection for different reasons okay so what uh what can what can punters expect from dean's tips uh when they when they sign up and uh what their what the projected results are um we're probably better out four days a week um you know we we virtually always bet on them we definitely always bet on a saturday uh usually on a wednesday you know the main two metro days uh, certainly other big public holidays or big race days um and carnival days and the like we bet as well and then you know it's picking the eyes out of the other days through the week where they're you know provincial country where there might be uh, you know a standout and that sort of thing where, where significant as value is present um you know but some days we might be one one bet maybe two in a day and, and other days you know on saturday certainly there might be more it just depends how the markets have shaped up compared to my assessments on the day um you know we recommend 100 unit betting bank the average bet's only 0.5 units per bet so it's a lot lower than most services that's sort of just a 50 dollar um you know bet for someone who's, who's betting 100 dollars per unit it's it's sort of around a, a quarter kelly criterion type concept we're replacing the bets to max survive rewards well minimizing the drawdown as much as possible. So um, we're provided with everything, you know, members are provided with everything they need, the track and race number, race time, the horse name, the market price, whether to bet early or late or, or spread between the two. Um, you know, we've had winners like MD at 100 to 1 that, you know, that was the official price. We started $260 Betfair SP and got out to as much as $560 on Betfair and Khan at 150 to 1, Sage Girl at 125 to 1. So, you know, we focus on value and, and, and everyone loves backing winners at those prices. Yeah, it's the type of thing you back a horse at 100 to 1 and you talk about it for a long time afterwards. And, and that that will happen too in, in trials by. Um, and we were, we were talking about it before that um, people now are looking more at trial, you know, more trial data. Um, what do you do to keep, keep ahead of the market? Yeah, you know, you need to constantly evolve. I sort of touched on the... Uh, many punters, I think, you know, even those who've been successful in the past, they, they fail to adapt and eventually they lose their edge. And when you, you do that, you then lose your confidence and you might lose your passion and enthusiasm and eventually you lose your betting bank. So if you stay static, you'll be overtaken and then markets are continually getting tighter and smarter. And that's why I constantly stop and refresh and at various times pause, you know, my tipping services to, to focus on analysing where edges have shifted or when new opportunities have presented themselves. So. You know, when I started Trial Spy seven years ago, the bookies had no clue about trial form. They ignored it entirely. And so did most punters or, you know, or database ratings gurus. So, you know, it was a real gold mine. And 
once the service became popular and word spread, there was a period where the, the trial form was over-regarded. Suddenly, the top trialers were very short in early markets and often were over-bet. And there was a period where trialers were kept tight in early markets, but drifted substantially as the larger punters using the database ratings focused on race form and, and pushed the prices out. And so there was a period where I believe that the bookies were keeping trial form short and those backing non-trial horses and early markets were smashing the bookies but now we seem to have hit a sweet spot where the bookies have been forced to wind out the trial horses to better prices from 9am so we can get excellent prices at 9am when the minimum bet laws kicked in kick in but as a bonus it seems the big winners are drifting back out to bigger prices late and betting anyway you know we bet cloud cover at 100 to 1 that got out to 450 to 1 on betfair gold sun at 47 dollars get out to 80 dollars on betfair uh, Dutchie's Revenge was $26 that we recorded and got up to $70 on Betfair. So certainly um, when the big syndicates and the ratings guys are, are not, uh, you know, identifying these horses on their form, they're actually, you know, prepared to lay them at huge odds on Betfair and that's where we can capitalise. Okay, so while you're, while uh, trial spy you are looking at trial form, um, it's not as simple as just uh, watching the trials though and just putting them in the, into the book and then betting on them later there's more to it than that there has to be yeah well you know it's certainly you know refining your approach so um you know i critically assess my own bets regularly to determine both where i'm making most of my profits but also where i'm leaking profits and i constantly tighten and refine how i'm going to use this methodology so at various times, I perform a detailed overhaul where I assess everything. You know, I assess my selections for over 100 variables and determine the cr criteria for not proceeding with a selection as a bet. And it's sort of like a sieve, you know, you start with a set of selections and you constantly filter out selections that don't meet the criteria. And um, eventually only the, you know, the biggest and highest value selections become actual bets. Well, that's, that's one of the, the, the cliches that I, I talk to people about. The most important part of professional punting is knowing when not to bet. Yes, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a uh, it, it's, it's critical element is, is being prepared to just let a winner go by um, if, if backing that winner is not actually a, um, you know, a long-term profitable move. Okay. So, and now we're, we are seeing more more jump outs and more more uh more trials being broadcast you're available to you can watch them on the internet um on the on the on the racing regulator websites um i think do you, do you find that's uh better than it used to be um yeah trials in new south wales and queensland south australia wa tas are pretty well covered the main issue is the official times are very wrong um and, and so you know i have to use a variety of of data sources and, and sectional providers to make sure i'm getting accurate race times and and uh, you know against the pars and that sort of thing um but most things have improved from when they first started i think victoria is frustrating there's a large amount of jump outs that frankly it is trials with another name and i know they've improved they state the name of the horses and jump out and the colors they don't actually show the results and the information's not in the form guides and I think until they change these jump outs to trials, Victoria's going to still be behind the other states. Um, I find the jump outs at the moment, you know, they are accessible and easy enough to decipher. Um, but I think people do so much work to analyse them that I think they're over bet. Um, because by the time, you know, someone's done all that hard work to find them, they, they then get over bet early in the markets. And um, I'm finding a lot more value actually out of trials and jump outs 
um, as there's a lot of people assisting the trials, but they are doing it incorrectly. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot there's a real mix of art and science and in, in, in watching trials and jump outs and you know you need to have access to the to the verified times so who your initial assessments are wrong and I think there's where a lot of people are uh, going down a garden path because they're assessing trials on the wrong times. Um, you know, things like fluidity in a horse's action, what gear it's wearing in terms of blinkers and, and the rider and its weight and track bias for the trials and the track conditions and the time compared to the trials on their day and whether they've had interference, the quality of their opposition, whether the horse was ridden out or under tight restraint, you know, the tractability, are they reefing or pulling their early speed, do they miss the start, the performance compared to how the trainer's horses usually trial. You know, there's a lot of factors that I'm taking into account in the trial assessment when most people are just watching it and look using their eye. Uh, and and I think that's where the edge still exists, despite, you know, more um, uh, more vision of them. Okay. So we're coming into we're coming into spring shortly. And while Trial Spy is all about identifying horses from trials, uh, the spring racing carnival is all about well established horses. How does how has Trial Spy gone through uh, spring Carnival in the past? Uh, Trial has actually been more successful during the Spring Carnival than in any other period each year uh, over the course of you know, the last um, you know, six, seven years. I think there's a few reasons. The higher quality horses are running. Uh, that makes them more reliable. Uh, the form's more reliable and the betting pools are much larger. larger. And so we, we get a much better price and, and much better odds and deeper pools too on our runners um i think also that the tracks are drier and so that that reduces variability too so you know our greatest success is maidens and a lot of them are up and coming for the spring two and three year old races you know the two-year-olds get going uh you know we take a big advantage in those early two-year-old races big three-year-old races the big ones like the golden rose and the coolmore sud states and the guineas you know these are races that we've dominated because the top trialers seem to uh you know, more often than not, uh, end up winning those races. Um, so, you know, I think we, we get great success out of that. And, you know, to give you an idea, even just between the August to um, October period, you know, that three-month period should theoretically have 25% of the profits, but I think for 47% of the profits for trials by in that three-month period. And then, um, you know, about 64% over the, the next six-month period from August to, to January. So it's certainly the most lucrative time. Um, for both trials by and and deems tips historically. Okay, well, it's certainly uh, a period of time, you know, when when footy season finishes and there's more people watching racing at, uh, during this period, um, and so the spring racing carnival is known as the the time for horse racing. But we've had you know we've had plenty of horses such as black caviar and winks getting public interest. How do you think? racing is is holding up these days um yeah look pe- people love to whinge but there are plenty of positives uh you know prize money is at an all-time high uh the breeding industry is very strong um you compare it to the uk where they race for ribbons and australian racing is a lot more exciting uh and you know innovations such as the everest and the golden eagle and all of these you know they call it pop-up races with huge prize money they are win-win for uh, for you know the majority of the participants in the industry and should be applauded uh, you know cheats are being caught whether they're trainers or jockeys and, and and that should help confidence in the industry um, so you know there's a lot of positives um, I think track bias remains an issue in, in my opinion um, you know participants each have their ulterior motives in terms of whether they think that tracks should have a 
leader bias or you know uh, or be fair for all um i've got a real issue with the substantial leader bias or rails bias tracks i think they're, they're dangerous for riders you have to jockey you know for one of the few spots in running you know on the rails you know where they can win uh, it substantially reduces the spectacle and enjoyment of all participants it impacts turnover negatively um you know as if finding a winner you know isn't challenging enough without establishing that you know in some cases half the field or more on a certain day could simply have no mathematical chance of winning if they weren't on the on the rail uh you know for me the number one goal objective of a track manager should be to produce a fair service where every horse can win so um you know eliminating the lanes as much as possible through the artificial watering or you know whether we need to stop using movable rails and just keep the rail where it is and let the intelligent jockeys you know determine the best place on the track um you know or at least they can find the best spots but at least you know every jockey and, and horse has its chance to get there um you know, ultimately usually the winner is the best horse in that cases but that doesn't happen at all if it's a mad leaders or rails bias so you know i find the excitement of assessing 100 plus variables in a race and that's what i enjoy about it but you know it, it, it's not it's not much fun when you suddenly realize halfway through a race day that um you know being on the rails is is, is the be all and end all um so for me that's probably the main the main thing that i think is a factor that doesn't benefit anyone uh, in the game okay in terms of uh no, for punting, um, there's there's a number of changes which which will you know affect the punter, such as you know mergers between um, between bookmakers, um, but that 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 happens a lot, and then there's new ones start up, um, and then there's the point of consumption tax. Um, how do you feel that those these type of things affect the punter? Uh, well, the minimum bet laws have been good, you know, for punters who who were banned everywhere. Um, but the flip side is the market percentages can be quite high at 9 a.m. You know, often still 125 to 130 percent, so it can be tougher to identify the the outstanding value after 9 a.m. than it used to be. But it's just about being more selective. Um, you know, the point of consumption tax has certainly impacted the market percentages in a negative way for punters. Um, but you know, betting on betfair is has never been as good as it is now. The prices available on Betfair far surpass the alternatives. Um, I think the minimum bet laws need a revamp. They should apply from the moment a bookie puts up their price, not just from 9am. Um, I think some bookies such as Sportsbet and Topsbet do seem to adhere to minimum bet laws before 9am. So it's worth, you know, testing those out. Uh, I think deductions need a standardised approach as, as bookmakers appear to be a law unto themselves when betting early. Um, uh, and I think top, top Fluck needs a review as it's, you know, based on six bookies having the top price, which is nonsense and has resulted in Top Fluck averaging a lot lower than it used to. Um, you know, if two or more bookies ever have a horse at a price and betting for longer than a minute, you know, that should really be the Top Fluck. Uh, and this would help level the playing field between uh, bookies and punters, in my opinion. No, I will, I will agree with, the, uh, with all that. Um, deductions is a really, really hairy one. I was in a position where I had to try and find out the official formulas for deductions and the regulatory bodies wouldn't tell me. <laughs> they said it's uh, confidential proprietary information and I thought, well, that doesn't really add up. No, it doesn't make sense. It should be publicly known information, shouldn't it, seeing as it's uh, impacting people's, uh, people's returns? Yeah, indeed. It's, uh, while it's not a variable that you assess for form, um, you should be able to yourself figure out what a deduction is if a horse gets scratched. 
exactly, exactly. It should uh, it should be a standard formula, the same for every single bookmaker. Um, uh, you know, done the simple and fair, meaningful way that um, you know punters can easily understand. And uh, um, I think that's a challenge with it at the moment, is you can you can back a horse at the exact same time for the exact same price with two different bookmakers and literally get paid a different amount if there's a scratching. Indeed, and that's and it depends on the size of the bookmaker. I know that Tabcorp have received some favourable treatment as well. So, but that's that's a whole other story. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they they possibly they possibly do need as much help as they can get. But that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but in terms of punting, you we you know at Wheat Winning Edge provide um, quite profitable services, and we're open and transparent. What are your thoughts about? Um, other tipping services that are available these days. Um, I, well, I just think people need to be need to be wary. There's certainly a lot of um, you know tricks out there. Um, you know, everything we we do is try to be real with with the realities of punting. Um, you know, our results sheets are all done in the exact same format. Uh, very simple to understand. Uh, you know, we have the results graphs there for every service. You know, people can see the, the true nature of ups and downs that, that true professional punters um, experience. Um, you know, with what we do, you get a 120-page members information pack, you know, education on, on getting the best odds and, and protecting your bookie accounts and, and all of the, you know, advanced knowledge of how to bet. Uh, there's yourself, Stephen, who, you know, you've had over a decade's experience in the racing industry and, and I think really importantly, you know, as as the member success manager at Winning Edge Investments, you know, you've you've also followed our services for many years, um, so you know how to follow them and how to get fantastic results. Um, so you know that's a huge benefit for members. They're able to access you know yourself um, as a um, you know from a member's perspective um, and a follower's perspective, and 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 learn how to follow the services, and they get access to you know full time professional punters um, that are providing the the services. Um, you know, so everything we do is, is to try to be real and, 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 and really educate people on how they can, you know, turn this into, um, either a full-time income or, or, you know, a really, really strong second income, um, uh, on, on top of their full-time occupation. Um, you know, anyone that joins Winning Edge has to go through a very, very detailed audit, um, of, of, of the past results that they have. Usually we find we, we end up cutting down the results quite substantially from what originally provided to us in terms of making sure that we can actually audit and, and, um, and those results are achievable and, and, uh, and they're verifiable. Um, and a lot of people don't pass that test. Um, and I've seen a lot of people then pop up somewhere else and their results sheets are, uh, you know, full of completely unachievable or, uh, you know, questionable results being put up up there. So it's pretty easy these days for anyone to pop up on social media and, and, and start a, a service um, anyone can do it of any background, and um, I think people just need to be very wary of uh, of, the, of the tricks that are out there in terms of the results that they're showing. And you know, I've been doing this for seven years, and there are very, very few, uh, if any, uh, providers that that have actually you know had publicly displayed results out daily for seven years. There's, there's actually none that I know of um, um, that have done it in that format. So um, you know, a lot of people disappear and they come back or they stop recording their results or they change their results um, or, you know, they uh, um, start afresh after a bad period, you know, um, 
And so these are things people need to be wary of. But, you know, um, it's interesting seeing social media. The, the bookies are actually, you know, I think tipping services have a, have a lot to blame, the, the, the quality ones, because the reality is a lot of punters are banned because they follow us. Uh, and so, you know, 99% of punters are losers uh, long term. That's just a, a statistical fact. There's very few who win at it. Um, the tipping services have suddenly enabled, um, you know, the average everyday punter to get information from, uh, you know, professionals and, and, and full-time professionals and the like um, and copy what they do. So, um, you know, it's a huge benefit to them. Um, uh, you know, the, the flip side is then, you know, trying to protect your bookie accounts. Um, but with the advent of Betfair and, and minimum bet laws, there's, there's a lot more opportunities for people to get on. So, you know, I think um, tipping services that, that aren't making money from, you know, affiliate bookmakers who, you know, most tipping services are, are cheap because they're, uh, they're making money from punters' losses. You know, Winning Edge Investments doesn't do that. We we only win if you win. You know, we get no money from bookmaker affiliate losses and we get no money from uh, uh, if the service loses. You know, we have a profit guarantee. So uh, so the analysts don't get paid if they don't make a profit. So the interests are completely aligned with, with members. Um and I think that's why we, we have such a you know fantastic reputation in terms of what we do. Indeed, and the and the results are they are achievable. I know personally, I will I will exceed the price of the results that we officially record most of the time. So, is it can be done. It might take a little while to learn how to to maximise that, but definitely can be done. Yeah, and I mean you know you've mentioned that you know with bookmaker restrictions and the like that. You know, with a lot of services, you, you you're doing that solely on Betfair. Um, that's not even using the uh, you know the bookie accounts a lot of the time. So there's a lot of, lot of different things that people do. You know, some some have you know a lot of accounts available to them and and odds boosts and and uh, other promos. You know, money back second third that sort of thing, and and they do very well betting with the bookies. Um, you know, others prefer to just sit back and 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 bet using Betfair. You know, I've I've had people follow my services who We've built little robots or used, you know, some of the automated bots through Betfair and, and just back every one of that way and, and, and beat results. So, um, you know, each to their own, but it's, um, you know, the key is that they're very easily achievable, which is, um, you know, in complete contrast to some of our, you know, the, the big the big names out there that, uh, that people know of that, uh, you know, are still out there recording at the highest possible price that you could achieve at any point between, the tip being sent out and, and closing price, which of course everyone knows is completely unachievable. And yet, you know, one of the biggest tipping services out there is, uh, is doing that every day. Well, when you see a, when you see a horse go to, um, in the last 10 minutes of betting, go to uh, 30 to one for about uh, oh, 20, 30 seconds with one bookmaker. Um, and then it's back and that price was available. Um, that's clearly trying to take some action for them to balance their book. Mm. But to record that, even though we you can see it, um, doesn't mean to say that's achievable by everyone, and it's completely unfair to record that that particular price. Well, exactly. But the other thing is, you know, a lot of these tipping services don't actually give any advice on whether you're betting early or betting late or what you're doing. Um, and you know, that's that's again where we differ. Where you know, each analyst, uh, when the bet sends out, is actually committing to you know, what they think you should be doing in terms of betting early, betting late, um, you know, the split of early and late and recording in that manner, um, which is obviously more useful than uh, than simply um, 
uh, you know, just blindly um, uh, giving out a tip with no advice on how to bet and then, and then, you know, recording it, whatever the highest price is. Now, what we can do now is we can find out a, a very important thing. Um, punting cliches, what's your favourite? Um, look, when it comes to punting sayings, sayings uh, you know, um, Warren Buffett's someone I've researched. You know, he's the most successful stock investor um, in the world. And a lot of people don't, don't know that he actually started as a horse racing handicap. So, you know, used a mixture of speed and class ratings and learned how to price a horse and then ultimately used those skills to, to value companies and stocks and is now, you know, the biggest uh, stock investor in the world. But, you know, he, he once said a public opinion poll is no substitute for thought. And, you know, essentially that means he made his fortune by being contrarian and taking advantage when the market has made a mistake. And the same goes with betting. Uh, another favourite quote of, of mine from, from Warren Buffett is, our favourite holding period is forever. And, you know, so the longer term, the perspective you can have on your betting, the greater your success will be. So allowing yourself to be affected mentally and financially by short-term results will inevitably leave you with, with poor long-term results. So, uh, you know, I like, I like those sayings. I think, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of silly cliches in, in racing. Uh, people who believe that, that, that big weights or wide draws are a negative, for example, when actually the, the statistics show that wide gates are, you know, uh, are very much under bet and, and, and big weights are under bet as well. So, um, you know, because everyone believes these things, you actually get better prices on those horses and overall they're actually better bidding propositions. So, um, you know, there's a lot of myths out there as well as, uh, you know, good, good punting sayings. Indeed. So, you know, when you, when you're looking at weights, for example, you know, a one or two kilo difference on a, on a 500 kilogram horse doesn't really make that much difference as far as I can tell. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That weight's certainly overplayed as a as a factor, but uh, um, on the whole. But then you know, there, there, there's also certain speed uh, proponents who I think completely underplay its importance as well. So there is a balance. It has a factor, but not as large as what the majority of the public believe. Indeed, um, you know they can throw a huge weight on far lap, and he can still win the Melbourne Cup. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. If they've got class, they can. Uh, they can do a lot of things. Indeed. So uh, and speaking of class horses, we've got spring coming up. And have you identified any, any uh, propositions that uh, you can give us now? Um, on the webinar I've done that people can take a little look at, at the uh, Winning Edge Investments YouTube. I speak about a couple of horses. Um, there's actually some futures bets I'll be giving out for, for Dean's winners and, 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 and Troll Spire shortly and, and over the course of spring. So I don't want to give too much away. Um, you know, I think, um, I think there's some fantastic uh, big races coming up. Um, and I think there could be some real standout performers this year. But I do think some of the futures markets have, have some false favorites in them. Um, and so uh, I'm going to keep my... My powder dry just just right now, but very very shortly I'll be I'll be sending out some futures bets. You know we've had, um, uh, you know winners like Sunlight at, at 30, 33 to one and Zoo Star at seventeen to one and 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 Santa Ana Lane at twelve to one. You know win win big Group One races for us uh, or major races in the past. You know by betting in, in futures and. Um, you know, in some cases those horses have, have started favourite and, and won. So um, I, I, have, I have a couple up my sleeve at the moment that um, you know I, th I think are worthy, and, and I'll be sending those out to members uh, very shortly. Okay, so if you would like to uh, find out what they are and get in, um, 
it'll be a good time to go to uh, winningedgeinvestments.com and go to the membership op- option section and have a look and uh, and sign up. Or you can you can uh, get in contact with me at membersuccess at winningedgeinvestments.com and call me on 02-9472-5070 and uh, we, can, we can get you hooked up. Yep. And, and, you know, for anyone listening to this podcast, we've got a special offer at the moment. If anyone does subscribe to, to both Dean's, Dean's tips and, uh, um, and Trial Spy, um, we do have a special offer. Uh, if they subscribe to the monthly, they get a, f- a free week of both services. If they subscribe to the quarterly, they get a free month of both services. Uh, and if they su- subscribe to the annual services, uh, they get a free quarter of both. Uh, so that's six months additional. That's about $1,600 of value. Uh, the quarterly and monthly, uh, the quarterly and annual services come with a profit guarantee. Uh, every membership comes with a 120-page uh, members information pack, um, plus access to, to myself and Stephen. Um, you know, to answer questions, uh, to you know, uh, propel your betting forward and, and and really start treating it like an investment. And with this with this deal, particularly the three-month one or four months for the price of three, effectively, that will cover the entire spring racing carnival. So. No better time. That's right. That'll 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 take you through, um, you know, right right through to December. So uh, um, you know, cover you for all of the all of the big racing uh, across both services, the, the trial and, and the race coverage. Um, and uh, you know, we expect to have a, a very very profitable uh, season as we have um, as we have in all the previous years uh, prior. Okay, indeed. So uh, thank you for your time today, today Dean, and. Uh, all the best for a big spring racing carnival. All right. Thanks very much, Stephen. Speak to you soon. Yeah, thank you.